It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. This hour, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Governor Spencer Cox answers questions from KSL listeners. Let Me Speak to the Governor, live from the studios of KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Utah Governor Spencer Cox. We will be taking your calls. 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. So, Governor, let's begin with the hot topic always on people's mind this time of year when we have more snow than we've seen it since the 80s. You declared a, an emergency, a state of emergency for flooding this week. I did, um, yeah. To free up money for that. So tell us about that money and how it will be used. Sure, yeah. So it, it is a it is an issue that's on people's minds. It's one that hasn't been on people's minds for a few years. Yeah, it's been, like it's 1983 been a while. Yeah. or something? Yeah, yes. Certainly we've not seen water like this. It, it is interesting. I, I was just checking today, Maria, and our uh, we, we talk about that 1983 record snowpack. We've had two weeks of snow melting and we're still not back down to where we were in 1983, which I think would surprise people. We've already had some flooding. Um, certainly, we've seen the Great Salt Lake rising, which is which is good news. But the, the money is being used in, in lots of different ways. Um, sandbags is a big piece of that. We've been uh, we've purchased sandbags, pre-purchased those. Uh, we've distributed those out. People have been filling them. I, I was able to go fill some sandbags last Saturday. It was fun to see neighbors out there working together. And that's a big piece of it. Um, getting he- heavy machinery where it needs to go. A, a lot of work is being done right now to clean out these drainages uh, there when when you haven't had high water like like we're having this year um, y- you see trees growing up in the in the middle of these so they have, they need to be cut down right the weeds need to be trimmed back all of the things that could come in and clog a drainage and that's where most of the flooding flooding usually happens when when a tree comes down and gets stuck in a culvert and then there's nowhere for that water to go and it it, it ends up running out on the roads and flooding homes so uh, that that work is is really what's being done now and and, uh, and then we'll have to look at you know flood damage uh, down the road and and how bad it gets. We're 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 hopeful the weather has actually been cooperating quite nicely so far. Uh, although I, I like one or two cold days like this, we we need to start warming it up again. The longer it takes to bring that down, the the more chance we have of flooding because we get into a, s- a situation like 1983 when we were it was too cold. And then late May, uh, we had almost 90-degree weather, like high 80s for, for three days in a row. And that's when you end up with kind of the massive flooding, and that's what we're hoping to avoid. You talked about how all that snowpack is still up there. Yeah. So are you expecting things to be worse? Well, see worse flooding? again, it, it really depends on temperature. That's that's the, the key to, to all of this. If we keep doing this thing where we, we get up to the 60s and 70s and then it cools down and then we're back up to the 60s and 70s, we will be just fine. We could do this for a long time. Uh, and, and by we, I mean 
the majority of Utah. We are going to have localized flooding. We've already had some. We had some homes that are, are flooding in northern Utah today. Uh, and that's actually groundwater flooding where um, the, the, the water table has risen so much. It, there's nowhere for the, the snow melt to go and the water to run. And so we're, we, we've certainly seen some of that. Um, we'll see, unfortunately, some landslides and some, some mudslides. Those do worry me. Um, I, uh, I, was, uh, I was seven years old when thistle happened, the thistle slide. And Fairview's the closest community to thistle. Uh, Fairview and, I guess, Spanish Fork. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of in between. And we were the, you know, my dad owned the telephone company that, uh, that served thistle. And so that was really um, something that we remember. And where, where landslides get damaging, of course, is if, if there are, are people or houses in the way. But um, more often than not, they happen in places where there aren't a lot of people. But if, they end, if, the, if the slide covers a river, that creates a dam. And then the water builds up behind that dam. And then that dam eventually breaks. And then you have a wall of water washing down. And that's, that was the concern with Thistle. Not just what happened in Thistle, but what would happen to Spanish Fork. And, uh, and so we're, we're watching those very closely. We have over 100 active slides that um, we're, we're monitoring right now. Now, I'm surprised to hear that. Yeah, it's, it's a big number. Um, the ground is always moving. So our, our, our uh, geologic survey, this is what they do. They know where these slides are, and, and they're always watching them closely. But you, you'll notice this. Um, I, I drove to, uh, to Vernal and Manila and then back, back, back home through Wyoming and back to Utah uh, just a couple days ago. And in the, in the steep mountain passes where the roads are cut, um, you'll see water seeping out of the sides of those, those cuts and running down the walls of the canyon um that's that means that the that that earth is less stable than it would otherwise be and so we had a, a small uh, a small landslide um up harley's canyon just just last week that shut down uh traffic for a little while till that we could go in and clear it out we expect to see some more of those so as you're driving in those high mountain passes just be vigilant be watching if you see rocks coming down get out of the way um just just be careful all right. Any other particular areas that you've got your eye on? Well, we, we are certainly watching. Again, it's, it's colder now, so, uh, so we're not reaching flood stage. We're supposed to be warming up again, but nothing too high. Again, low 70s is fine, mostly. We, sh- we should be okay. But, uh, but the Provo, uh, I, was, I, was, I went at Provo Canyon yesterday. Provo's running really high and fast and, and deep. Um, the Weber, Weber River, so again, northern Utah immigration uh, canyon where we've already seen some flooding. Uh, so it, it, I just, all of our rivers are either running hot and high now or they will be over the next month and uh, be extra cautious Uh, sadly the last times we've had uh, you know 2011 where we had high and fast water like this we did see some drownings some accidental drownings uh, because people got too close and sometimes those riverbanks aren't as solid as you think so uh, just just be careful keep your pets away as well um, and uh, and just just uh, exercise caution are you expecting the federal government to have to come in and help us out? Uh, potentially. Those are conversations that we're, we're always having. That's part of an emergency declaration. And one of the reasons I issued that, if we do need the federal government to step in, um, there are certainly resources available with FEMA and others. And, and that always dep- depends on how widespread it is and how much damage is caused. And, and so we're, we're tallying those and keeping track of, uh, of what's happening out there. Um, I, we, we will very possibly need the legislature to step back in. And uh, we, um, I had asked for $5 million in flood mitigation money back in October, and I kind of got laughed at for that. Uh, and now we realize it's not enough. And, uh, and so we, we have some resources available right now, but it's possible we'll need the legislature to come back in. We, we have the reserve funds. We've been planning for this and setting aside money, but they need to allocate it. And, uh, and so we'll work closely with okay, them. Okay, so you have to actually call a, session, a special session? Possibly. Possibly. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what we can 
can move around without a session, and then if if needed, we'll uh, we'll have them come back. Big topic of concern right now is housing yeah. and high interest rates. And I know that you signed a set of bills this week dealing with growth in the state. Uh, how will though are there some in there that deal with housing? There are. Yeah, there are several bills that deal with housing. Um, some of them is helping us to maintain this balance between local decision making and this this crisis we have right now. Uh, the need for more supply and and, uh, and making sure that every city is engaged in um, in in providing for lower income housing in their in their areas and, and moderate income housing. I mean, we, we really need all of it right now. And, and we're, we're trying to encourage um, new housing stock. Um, there, there are a lot of apartment buildings going up and that will help. Certainly we have high rents as well. We need to bring those down. But um, I, I'm particularly focused on, uh, on on new starter homes and single family housing. We, uh, we, we Starter homes used to be a thing. We don't see a lot of starter homes being built. Uh, the uh, the Incentives aren't there to to build. If you can take the same piece of property and and build a much bigger home and make a lot more money on it, and there's still a demand for that too, it gets a little tougher. And uh, and so we have a lot of people renting that would prefer to buy a, a single family home. So one of the things I'm, I'm excited about was actually a new homeowner um, uh, uh, benefit for for people who are looking to buy their first home, a twenty thousand dollar grant that they can receive to do that. I think we passed. It was about forty million dollars. So as long as that lasts, but it has to go to new construction. That's that's one of the um, that that was one of the ideas. So it's 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 not just increasing demand; it's a supply side uh, uh, benefit where um, you will engage a builder to build a, again a starter home. That's what we're hoping for. You have an extra twenty thousand that you can put down to either buy down your interest rate. You can put it down as a down payment to to get out of having to pay mortgage insurance um, and and just make it more affordable. And so we're we're looking at more ideas like that to help bring down the cost of housing. All right, we're going to take a break. We have callers already lining up. The number to, for you to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Get your questions answered by Governor Spencer Cox. Call 801-575-8255 to join Let Me Speak to the Governor on KSL News Radio. Thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleas, along with Utah Governor Spencer Cox, and a lot of calls coming in now, Governor. The first one is from Doug in Salt Lake City. And good afternoon, Doug. What is your question? Hi, thank you, Maria, and thank you, uh, Governor, for taking my call. Um, the question I have is, I know there was the referendum um, related to reallocating property tax in exchange for um, to date, eliminating the uh, food tax. My question is, with that, is that basically giving the legislature a blank check to do whatever they want with the 
taxes afterwards? Hey, Doug, thank you so so much for that question. Um, and, and so, yeah, I just just I think I, I want to just correct one thing. You did say property tax, and, and I think you meant income tax, and and that's that's what the, uh, the the tax earmark has been on. So there was a change made to that earmark. Historically, uh, the earmark could only be used for education. Back in the the '90s, we changed it so it could be used for for higher education as well. And then a, a couple of years ago, we we actually changed it so it could be used for some social services with uh, that. that the legislature could could attribute that to now with that 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 rebalancing that we're talking about here that was part of the discussion is there a way to put some guardrails on that so that um, the, the legislature would take care of education first before then being able to use it for uh, for other things um, much like sales tax so there are no earmarks well there there are fewer earmarks I won't get into too much of it but mostly the general fund uh, the the legislature can allocate that in any way that they they see fit um, and and it's the the answer is no, there as proposed, and I don't have the language in front of me. I apologize, but but certainly you can look that up. The proposed language in the statute that was passed, but there will be still some guardrails on there for the legislature, and I, I think that was important to help get education advocates to uh, to at least not oppose the uh, the change to the earmark. And and I anticipate that it will be successful. I hope it will be successful. I think it's 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 very needed. I think it will be good for the state of Utah. It will help us remove the uh, the remaining sales tax on food, the, the state portion of that, and, uh, and and then again, give the legislature a little more flexibility, which is very, very needed. Um, people, I always tell people, like, the earmark really hasn't made that much of a difference over the past few years. If you look at what the legislature has been able to do, what they've done is, because higher ed was mostly in the, uh, in, in the general fund, they've been able to keep moving. Anytime they needed more money, more flexibility, they would just move more of higher ed over into the education fund or the, the income tax fund so that they would get more flexibility in the general fund. So really, the, the legislature hasn't had that many guardrails. They've been able to, to uh, allocate the money where it needs to go, and uh, this will just allow them that flexibility because we're, we're nearing the limits of, of that exchange. Uh, I, I know that's a little wonky, but I think it's important to understand. And, and I, I really think it's good policy. Again, we still put education first, but we also have to take care of the, uh, the, the other pieces of our economy that are so necessary. All right, Doug, thanks for your call today. Let's go to Jerry, who is in Sandy. And good afternoon, Jerry. What was your question? Hi, Governor. So my wife and I are both seniors. I just went and got new glasses, and I was shocked to find that I paid $69 in sales tax on those glasses. My wife just had a hip replacement. Had We bought her, bought her a walker. She paid $22 sales tax on the walker. Why do they even tax medical devices? That That's a that's a good question. Um, I I. I believed, at least I thought, that many medical devices were exempt from, from sales tax. Um, that's, uh, that, that's obviously a, a big number on those, uh, on those glasses, and uh, I can see why that would, that would be of concern to you. This is the first time this question has actually ever been brought up to me. And so um, I, I appreciate you bringing that, uh, that, that up to me, and um, I'm, I'm certainly uh, anxious to look this up. I know that uh, the legislature did pass a law that provide a, a sales tax exemption for home medical equipment, and uh, I, I don't know which medical devices um, uh, uh, that that applies to. Um, certainly, uh, we'll 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 look at that. It, it probably is just to retail sales of tangible personal property. That would be my guess, um, and that.
that's the distinction because I, I again I know that most medical devices are exempt from that. So um, certainly that's one I'm I'm happy to look into and see if if uh, if there's a distinction there that uh, that may need to be resolved. All right. Thank you for your call today. Uh, we have a couple minutes for the bottom of the hour news. Uh, Republican convention this weekend. Governor uh, Governor Ron DeSantis is going to be here. Uh, give us. Give us your thoughts on the convention this weekend. Well, looking forward to it. Um, this is the the annual meeting of, of Republicans throughout the state. Um, I'm going to be excited. We've we've had the county conventions now going on for uh, for a month and a half. I've been able to get to many of those. I was just at Utah County and Davis County conventions last weekend, and uh, and it's really exciting to have a potential. I know he's not announced. Everybody thinks he's running for for president to uh, to have uh, Governor DeSantis here with us. Um, I, I consider Governor DeSantis a friend. We've met on several occasions here in Utah and in Florida. And so looking forward to hearing what, what he has to share and seeing how that, uh, this is kind of the beginning of the political season, right? Um, 2024 is a uh, is a big year in, in politics. Of course, it's a presidential year. We have a gubernatorial campaign coming up. Um, so, so I'll be busy. Uh, we have uh, one of our senators as well, again, which doesn't happen every every two years as they're, they're staggered and on six-year terms. So we had Senator Mike Lee, who, who ran two years ago, and now Senator Romney's seat is up. No one knows if Senator Romney's going to run again, so that's been very interesting. Of course, we had the Speaker of the House, Brad Wilson, uh, a wonderful human being, great guy, good friend, um, someone who has said that he's formed an exploratory committee to look at running for that, hasn't decided whether or not he's going to run yet. Uh, so this is the kind of the silly season where um, you, you try to figure out who's running for what and what that's going to look like. Do we have members of Congress that want to run for that Senate seat? Does that open up? some of our congressional seats as well. Uh, it does, does Senator Romney run? If he doesn't run, it's very rare that we have an open Senate seat. That doesn't happen uh, very, very often. And, and what does that look like? So, uh, And then, of course, you've got every member of the, the, the House of the state legislature who's up and half the state Senate who's up. So all of the machinations that come there, um, it should make for a really interesting year, unless you hate politics, and then it's a, it's a pretty miserable year. You have a couple of resolutions also that you're considering uh, one on the state flag and where it can be flown. Maybe you could talk about that one. Well, I, yeah. So I, I actually did sign a um, uh, a uh, an executive order on on the state flag. Um, and there, of course, people love the uh, the the current state flag, the the traditional state flag, the blue flag with the the seal on it. And uh, and and we heard that. I, I think uh, I think the legislature heard that. They ended up the the legislature did pass the the new flag. Uh, and so um, although that won't be law until uh, until May when all the laws go into effect. They actually had a date on there that it doesn't become effective, uh, the, the, the new flag, until March of next year. Oh. Um, so, I mean, people can fly it. There's there's mm-hmm. no prohibition mm-hmm. or anything like that, but it really doesn't become official until then. But my executive order was that, uh, that w- w- well, let me back up. One of the changes that was made to the bill before it passed was to make sure that we kept the traditional flag. So it's not replacing that flag. The, the traditional flag is still our flag. In fact, it, it will be referred to as a traditional flag. Um, it's mandated to fly on certain holidays. What I did was issue an executive order to make sure that it will always be flown at the state capitol. So we'll actually be adding a flagpole so that the, the, the traditional flag will continue to be flown. And uh, we, will, um, we will make sure that it can be flown at any time in any place. And we want to respect that history. And heritage. I understand that the convention has a resolution, though, that makes sure that it's flown ah, at particular times, that, that, places. I yeah, guess. I think that there. I haven't seen that particular resolution, but uh, I, I know that that's something that they care deeply about and something that I support. 
Uh, another resolution, maybe more controversial, is on signature gathering on and which candidates the party supports. How do you feel about that? Resolution? Well, I, I, I've, I've been a support a supporter because I, again, I think the um, SB fifty four was was the law that was passed several years ago that allowed for signature gathering, um, and there was a threat that uh, that there were. I mean, there was an actual initiative that would have gotten rid of the caucus and convention system altogether. Um, I think that this was the uh, the better balance. So we still have the caucus convention system and uh, and and we have um, people can also gather signatures and then again the, the citizens of the state of Utah and and, and more more importantly I guess the, uh, the the members of that party get to decide who they're going to support and so um, we, we'll see what happens with that resolution I don't see SB 54 there were there have been attempts to change it every year and it never goes anywhere and I, I don't see that that will be changing anytime soon okay let's take a break from our bottom of the hour news number for you to call with your questions 801 you can also text us your questions at 57500. This hour, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Governor Spencer Cox answers questions from KSL listeners. Let Me Speak to the Governor, live from the studios of KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Utah Governor Spencer Cox. We are taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can also text at 57500. John is on the line in Bluffdale. And Bluffdale excuse me. Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon. I appreciate what you guys do. Mr. Governor, I appreciate the job you're doing but I have something I'd like to see you get the ball rolling on because our legislature doesn't seem interested in it. We need a here in Utah something similar to a Proposition 13 in California so that people on limited income won't be taxed out of their homes. And also we need to take the taxes off of Social Security. Appreciate what you do, and thanks for taking my call. Thank you, John, for that uh, for for that uh, that suggestion and that idea. I appreciate it. I, I, I'm not familiar, uh, but but I will go and, and look at that that proposition uh, out of California. W- what I can tell you that we tried to do this time to help with that is that we did eliminate more of the uh, the tax on Social Security. So now anyone making less than uh, I hope I don't get this wrong. I think it's seventy five thousand dollars now will have zero tax on their Social Security. So I think that's a that's a great move. I would love to see it go off of Social Security completely. Completely, but we were able to get another chunk of that off. Um, the other thing that we've done is uh, we we've increased the funding to help people on a fixed income to find to get relief. They can apply for relief from uh, from their their property taxes. Uh, and so, if you are on a fixed income, a limited income, look, reach out to your county. There are resources available to uh, to help alleviate some of that burden on uh, on our most vulnerable citizens. So, um, in the meantime, I hope that that's helpful, and I'm excited to. Have have that social security change implemented. Uh, Governor, a couple of questions about flooding that I did not see earlier when we were talking about flooding. One from Utah County. This person would like to know what the chances are there in Utah County. Should they be worried, and is there any way to prepare themselves? Yeah, sure. So again, there there are ways for for everyone to prepare themselves. Um, I hope you'll uh, you'll you'll take an opportunity to do that. You can go to uh, beready.utah.gov, and there, there's a lot of information there about how to uh, to work to prepare for floods. But look, um, the cities and counties are doing 
doing this work, and they've been doing it now for several weeks. We've been engaged very closely with them. Um, w- one of the concerns I, I do see, there are people who, are, most people in Utah are in no danger of flooding at all. Um, and you need to kind of understand kind of the history of flooding in your neighborhood and your area to understand if you're at risk. I, I do see every once in a while, I'll see a home in a place where there's no threat of flooding and they have sandbags piled up all around their home. Um, and, and I appreciate that. That's, that's probably a little overboard. Um, but what we've been doing is filling sandbags ahead of time. Um, so reach out to your local city and county, look for those opportunities, and they will know where the, the, the floods are most likely to come, where those sandbags need to be placed. We're monitoring it. We can see um, a few days ahead to understand what's coming our way. Um, we know if, uh, if, there's going to, uh, if, if there's going to be warmer temperatures. We're monitoring flood stage. We, we, we can really not just guess, but we can approximate how much water is going to be coming down based on the temperature, what, what, what rivers are at flood stage, and where those need to go. Now, if there is an obstruction that ends up in a culvert and something ends up flooding, um, because we've already pre-filled sandbags, and, and there, I, I'm guessing this weekend there will be more opportunities for people to fill sandbags. The lieutenant governor was down with the Provo mayor in Utah County filling sandbags just earlier this, uh, this week. Um, those sandbags can be deployed very quickly. So we can get out there. We saw that happen in Immigration Canyon in, in Salt Lake. We had 200 people show up at 9 o'clock at night, work until midnight to protect homes because uh, that river was starting to flood. And, and that's, that's what we do to be prepared. Uh, the next listener wants to know about the potential for flooding at the Jordan River and regulating the water. Yeah. So again, one of the things that we are doing much better is is regulating uh, the, um, the the water. We have these reservoirs, and th- what what people forget is 1983 was uh, was there was so much flooding in '83 because 1982 was also a record year for snowpack. Um, 2002 was not a record year for snowpack. In fact, it was it was one of the worst uh, winters that we've had on record. So we have lots of capacity. So so what what happens? Well, on cooler days like this, we actually have reservoir managers out there releasing water out of the reservoirs um, to prepare more space for water to come in. So that when there is excess water coming in that would cause flooding, um, they can let out less water downstream to prevent it from happening and fill up the reservoir. So we, we can use those reservoirs as a way to manage flood control in and out. If it's cold weather, we let more out. If it's hot weather, we let less out. And uh, we have capacity because last year was such a dry year. Okay, back to our phone lines. Paul is on the line in Taylorsville. Good afternoon, Paul. Hi. Hi, Governor. Um, I wanted to talk about property taxes. You know, um, Whenever the school board decides they want more money, which is every year, my property taxes go up two or three hundred dollars a year, and I'm on a fixed income. I retired this year. When they want money, they just raise the taxes. But what if, uh, what on a fixed income, where do we go for relief? How do we put a, a some kind of a, a help in place for where we can uh, get out of property taxes or get our property taxes reduced? Because right now, I paid my house off years ago. And with the property taxes going up every year, I'm back up to what my house payment was. And there's no relief inside. Every year it goes up like clockwork. 
Yeah, Paul, thank you. As I just mentioned with the, the previous caller, I would encourage you to reach out to your to your county. Um, they have uh, they for for people on a fixed income there. There are uh, the, depending on how much money that you, that you take in, there are opportunities for uh, for relief there. Um, so so that's what you do when, when it comes to raising taxes. Um, we, we have uh, what we call truth in taxation. We're one of the first states. In fact, maybe the first state in the nation to do that. Um, other states have been following um, that that hearing that they have to hold before they raise property taxes. And, and again, if you see that happening over and over again, I would encourage you to to, to get your neighbors together and, and to to show up in a way to, to let them know that uh, that that's that's not acceptable. And uh, we, we've seen that have some impact. We've seen some cities, we've seen some school districts who had proposed uh, property tax increases that ended up not uh, not implementing those those property tax increases because there was so much backlash from uh, from, from the citizens. And so that's that's my recommendation. Recommendation again: Reach out to your your local county. Um, many people do not know that they qualify for for those for for relief from their property taxes, but you need to you need to reach out and apply for that relief. Uh, next listener, Governor, uh, is complaining about Legacy Parkway. They say it's an awful shape that now that the semi trucks have been allowed there for three years on a road that was never designed to handle them, and they want to know what is the plan to correct it. Sure. So w- one of the only things I would say is that the road was actually designed to handle those large trucks. I mean, that that was part of the design. They they did not have large trucks on that road for a period of time. Of course, the legislature changed that a, a couple years ago. So w- when the road was being built, there was a lawsuit filed, and uh, the result of that a- and eventual settlement was that uh, it would include a temporary moratorium on semi-trucks, and that uh, that moratorium ended, the restriction was lifted uh, in 2020. Now, UDOT is aware of the condition of the road. Um, that has less to do with the big trucks, although partly to do with the big trucks, and more to do with the, the crazy winter that we just had. Um, and this is true. You will notice all across the state of Utah that there are potholes in the road. That That is what happens when we get this much moisture. Uh, water is really bad for roads. And the freeze-thaw cycle that we have in Utah is really bad for roads. And so um, we spent much of the winter fixing our roads with our what we call our winter patching, uh, uh, patching mix. But those repairs do not last a, as long as we would like. And again, due to the weather, we're seeing these potholes continue to reemerge. So as the weather warms, this is what we do. Utahns will see UDOT out fixing damaged roads with our more permanent dry, warm patch. Um, it's, it's really important. We're constantly monitoring this but we can't prevent those potholes from happening if, if you want to if you want to not have those you need to go to a drier climate where we don't have water in the freeze-thaw cycle but what we do is there is winter and then the other season is road construction in Utah right <laughs> um, that's because of the place we live and uh, and the technologies we have so you'll see us out there and, and you'll see your local cities and towns doing the same thing um, uh, in Fairview I've seen them repairing roads here in Salt Lake City by the governor's mansion they're repairing roads because this has been a terrible terrible winter for for roads. You can't really drive on any road and not find a pothole nope. right now. Right now, no there are potholes it. everywhere. Uh, Dwayne is on the line in Salt Lake City. Good afternoon, Dwayne. What is your question? Dwayne, can you hear us? Okay, we're going to come back and uh, check in with Dwayne in just a second. The number for you to call with your questions, 801-575-8255, or you can text us at 57500. 
Governor Spencer Cox is taking your questions right now. Call 801-575-8255 or text him at 57500. This is Let Me Speak to the Governor on KSL News Radio. Thanks so much for being with us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos along with Governor Spencer Cox today. Let's go back to our phone lines. Dwayne is on the phone line. Good afternoon, Dwayne. What was your question? Well, how are you? Hey, Governor, um, I'm an avid hunter and hunted for years in the San Pete County area. And I've got a grandson who comes of age next year to hunt. And he's excited to go after these mountain lions. My my question is, is how do I tell him, I, in my opinion, it's not ethical to be shooting these lions in May, June, and July when there's a chance of a female having a litter in a den. Why, why didn't we veto this, and why didn't we have more public input before we made that decision? Thank you. Yeah, Dwayne, th- th- thanks for the question. Um, so so a, a couple parts to that. Uh, why, why didn't I veto it? So so when there were, there were lots of other pieces of that bill that were really important that we needed. Um, two, um, I actually agree with you on the public input part, and, and that's something I, I sent a letter to the legislature afterwards um, a, a pleading with them to uh, to not make these types of changes in bills before um, there is public or after there is the, the time for public input has passed. Like we, we desperately need more public input um, on, uh, in these types of situations. Now, here, here's what, what I will tell you. The Division of Wildlife Resources um, has estimated that the number of cougars ha- has increased over the past decade. And, and this new legislation will not change the classification of cougars as protected wildlife in Utah. And harvested cougars will still be required uh, to, to be checked in at uh, the DWR offices so that, that biologists can monitor the, these harvest rates. So we will, we will watch this very closely. I, I will say that, that um, Idaho has had um, this similar uh, type of a, a year-round hunt um, with, with actually fewer restrictions than, than Utah has for many, many years. So we've watched very closely to see how that uh, has worked out there. Um, if there are concerns over the course of the next year with the number of animals that are being harvested, um, then we will we will take that back to the legislature and uh, and see if we can't uh, we can't rebalance it. So again, we're 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 watching this um, very very closely. Um, I, I, again, I, I admit that the, the process was flawed. I, I should also note that, that people can't legal, legally harvest females with kittens uh, and cougars with GPS collars on specific hunting units will still be protected for the duration of a, of a research study being con, uh, conducted. So there, there are some, uh, some caveats there, but uh, we're, we're still trying to work through this, and uh, I hope we'll have a, a better process next time around. Thank you, Dwayne. All right, let's go back to the phone line. Lawrence is on the line. Lawrence, uh, good afternoon. What is your question for the governor? Hi, Governor. How are you? I'm well, thanks. All right. Um, a simple question. I don't know if it's one or two parts. The, the basis of it is this. Would you ever consider having a, an actual homeless person who is actively homeless but has their wits about them, for a better way, better, lack of a better way to put it, on your homeless advisory committee at the state level? And if so, yes or no, why or why not? Yeah, Lawrence, thank you. Yeah, so I, I would definitely not be opposed to that. I will tell you that um, because, because I, I, I know where you're going with this, and I, I agree, um, we do currently have a member of the board who was homeless. Um, so, so that person is not currently homeless, but it was someone with that, that lived experience, um, that experience of being homeless. And, uh, and his perspective and, and experiences have, have really um, given, I, I think, have given the, the State Homelessness Council valuable um uh, uh valuable insight 
um, as they work to understand the, the needs of, of people experiencing homelessness. Um, I, I will also say that uh, that that Wayne Niederhauser, who is the um, who, who is the director, our, our homeless services coordinator, he he works very closely um, every week. He and his wife are out um, not not just sitting in an office, but actually out um, spending time with uh, with those those people who are experiencing homelessness. And and uh, and and that that really matters. I, you, you have to have that that experience. You actually have to meet with people, talk to people, take input, listen to them, learn from them. Of course, Pamela Atkinson uh, taught me that very early on uh, and, and encouraged. It, I, it was mentioned a few weeks ago that, that 10 years ago, uh, uh, Representative Elison and I went and spent um, a, a, spent a night in a homeless shelter here in, in Salt Lake City. We didn't tell anybody we were doing it. Um, we I, I dressed in my farm clothes. Nobody knew who I was. We checked in just like everybody else. We wanted to go through the entire process. Um, we slept in the same beds everybody else slept in. We had conversations all night long. I got very little sleep actually talking to people. And, and that drastically changed my, um, my experience, my views on homelessness, um, my, my ability to, to at least, and again, I recognize it was just, it was just one night. So I'm, I'm not saying I, I get it in, in one night, but it, it, it did change um, what, what I understood and how I interacted. And, and so I think having somebody on the council that, uh, that has experienced that is very, very important, whether they're current currently experiencing it or experienced it in the past. I, I would have no problem having somebody uh, who is who is currently homeless uh, serving in that capacity. All right, Lawrence, thanks for your call. Joseph is next in Holiday. Good afternoon, Joseph. Hello. Um, it's good to talk to you, Governor, and also you. Um, I'm just wondering, I've had a bad, small business. I tried to take it off in 2019. It wasn't successful because of COVID, and I've had struggles ever since then. I'm just wondering if there's any way to get help or anything to help my business survive or I need to close my doors. Yeah, Joseph, um, th- just- thank you, and thank you for uh, for starting a business. Um, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of entrepreneurs in our state who are who are doing what you're doing, taking risk and uh, and and looking for opportunities to uh, to build the economy and, and create a better life for for you and your family. Um, we we do have lots of resources available for small businesses. Um, in fact, uh, probably more resources than anywhere else in the country. Uh, I was very pleased to see that that in January, um, Wallet Hub actually ranked Utah as the number one best state to start a business. And then just this past week, uh, we we had uh, five, four of the top five cities in the country to start a business, uh, smaller cities. Uh, so uh, we, we had uh, Washington City was number one. Uh, I think St. George was number two. Cedar City and Logan were both in the top five. We had eleven of the top thirty. And so so yes, there there are um, opportunities. The Governor's Office of Economic Opportunity is a great place to start for small businesses. Um, they have many internal offices and programs dedicated to assisting people like you with uh, with educational resources, grants, um, small business loans, and 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 other other things that you might need. You can uh, I, I would encourage you to visit business.utah.gov to learn more. We also have um, businesses. You can contact your local chamber of commerce. Um, we have what we call SBDC small business development centers all throughout the state. State again on on business.utah.gov. You can see where those are located. Many of them are located on our college campuses or uh, with our tech colleges. They have resources available. So um, please, 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 before you have to close your door, I, I hope you'll reach out and take advantage of the amazing resources that we have available. 
All right, let's try and squeeze in one more call before we run out of time, and that's Travis in Saratoga Springs. Travis, what is your question? Yeah, thanks for taking my question. Um, so we already lose millions of dollars a year to our surrounding states with lottery and gambling. Now that the Miller family wants to bring in baseball and Ryan Smith wants to bring in major hockey, are we going to allow online sports betting like the other 33 states have already? Yeah, thanks for the question, Travis. Um, I, I, I just don't see that happening anytime soon. Um, in, in fact, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm more concerned that, than ever before with what we're seeing, um, the, the predatory nature of the uh, of the gambling industry. Um, we're seeing it, and, and look, I, I get it. You know, like most people, it's fine. You can, you, you know, you go to Vegas, you have a fun weekend, you come back. There's there's no problems there. But there there's a large part of our society that uh, that get addicted very quickly. Um, we're now moving this onto college campus they're they're advertising everywhere and uh, I think over the next few years we are going to see more and more and more of this uh, this gambling addiction just destroying lives and families and so um, I you know our economy uh, is doing really great we have the best economy in the country we have now for uh, for, for many years and uh, we're doing it without sports gambling so uh, I, I look if, if you can get uh, if you can get uh, more than more than half the legislature to change their minds on this uh, uh, you probably need two-thirds of it to, to get it past me, but I, I just don't see that changing anytime soon. Okay, and our next texter wants to know when you're going to run for president. He says <laughs> we need. She says uh, we need new blood. Well. We, we I, I agree with that texture that we do need new blood, um, but we don't need my blood. Um, so I, I, I'm very, I'm very grateful. I'm excited. I've, I've said, you know, I, I, I want to run for one more term as governor, and that will be it for me. I, I, I like to stick to my promises, and and so um, I hope we find some good new blood to run for president this uh, this next year. Okay, so next month you'll be back, and we appreciate you spending an hour every month with our listeners answering all of their questions. Next month will be right before the interim session, right? It, it will. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Maria. We're we're looking forward to it. I hope uh, when we meet together, together next month, we've had perfect uh, weather. The water has come down gently and uh, we're in a much better spot a month from now. Again, thank you, Governor. Thank you. And thanks for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.